0: Welcome to this week's message. We hope you enjoy this teaching from Pastor Chris Jerkson, the Executive Pastor here at Southland Church. For more information about this message and other resources, visit mysouthland.com. I'm going to start a new series, and uh, it's called The God I Wish You Knew. And uh, I stole the title. I'm not that creative. I just love the title. I came across it in some reading I was doing a few months ago, and a church in Chicago, Willow Creek, church had done a series. I didn't actually go back and listen to any of their messages, so I'm not sure what they preached in the message. Uh, But I'm sure it had to do something to do with the character traits of God. And ever since I read it, it was just sort of there. And so I want to do a series called The God I Wish uh, You Knew. Because there are so many good traits. Uh, God is, the God we serve is so incredible. He's so amazing. He's so loving. And to praise Him and to love Him and to know Him, that is actually the point of all of life. And so I just want to go through. I don't know how long it'll last. I really don't have much of a plan. I I don't get out ahead of myself that far. Um, But uh, today I want to do God is our deliverer. But certainly there's so many amazing traits of who God is, our healer, our provider. He's faithful. He's loving. He's our savior. He's our redeemer. And really all of life, I, I can't stress that enough, and it'll come up repeatedly today, but I think also throughout the rest of this series, everything that happens to you in life, Everything that happens to you and me, and that especially the pain stuff, and especially the struggling stuff, everything is about God, and behind everything, and, and, it's, and we just lose sight of that. To us, life is life, and things happen, and we're worried, and we're anxious, and we're afraid, but everything is about God. He made the entire universe. He's holding the whole thing together, and every situation and thing that happens to you is about you discovering more about the goodness of God. So today I want to talk about God is our Deliverer. Let's pray and then we'll get into it. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you are our Deliverer and you are good and you are behind everything. I mean, we we go outside, we we are in here, wherever we go, it is you who is behind everything. It is you who gives us existence. It is you who, who keeps us sane. It is you who gives us life and breath and everything. And we just so often lose sight of that. And when we lose sight of that, Lord, oh, the hardships we face in our lives. I just pray today, Jesus, that you would speak to all of us and give us hope about who you are. In your name, I pray. Amen. God is our deliverer, and we're going to take God this, this particular character trait today. God is our deliverer from the Exodus story. Uh, two weeks ago, uh, my wife and I were on a on a Valentine's date. It was very nice. Uh, that's why I scheduled Tom to preach. I scheduled him to preach on Valentine's so I can go away and he can't do anything with his wife. But um, <laughs> that's the beauty of being higher in rank than he. Um, <laughs> but uh, anyway, so we actually got to go away on a date on Valentine's Day, so Friday to, to Saturday. And uh, so we, we had a night in a hotel, and... Spent the whole evening, just had a wonderful time, right? talking all the way in. I mean, I just, I thank God so much for, for my marriage and La and, and And for us now, after 13 years of marriage, you know, we drive into Winnipeg, all the way there. We're talking. As we have dinner, we're talking. Uh, after dinner, we're talking. It's just wonderful. And, uh, and then we get back to the hotel finally, and it's like, well, uh, let's watch a movie. And there was one movie we had been hoping to watch. I won't tell you what it is because maybe some of you, who knows, I think it's a great story, but uh, one of you might be offended by it and then think uh, worse of me. But anyway, that movie wasn't on the hotel menu, so we had to pick another one, and we looked through, there's like 20 movies on there, and nothing good, at least uh, for what, what we wanted to watch, and except there was this one movie, uh, Exodus, okay? And, uh, and so, it, and it was my fault, I said to little, well, it's, at least it's a Bible story, right? So... Um, <laughs> I mean, Hollywood does Bible stories well, right? Yeah, right. Uh, Anyway, so we start, finally she capitulates, and 1799 later, uh, we're watching The Exodus. Yeah, ooh, yeah. Nuts. Um, Anyway, so we're watching The Exodus. Awful movie. I'll just tell you right here from stage. Not awful in the sense of filthy uh, stuff happening or swearing or anything like that, but just an awful abomination Of a wrecking of the biblical story, okay? Uh, Absolutely wrecks the the story, and as we're watching, they portray God as very petty and angry and horrible. In fact, literally, they portray God as he's communicating with Moses as a little boy who's very petty and just wants to kill people. And so as we're watching this, we didn't make it to the end of the movie. We made it probably further than than, uh, uh, we should have due to the 1799, Um, but... uh, (laughs) We were like, at least I want to see the parting of the Red Sea. And even that scene, they messed up. But anyway, we watched this movie, and afterwards we laughed. I mean, we still had a good time together. And, and uh, afterwards, the next day I got up, and for my devotions, I'm like, I'm reading Exodus. And uh, as I'm reading Exodus, and then the next day after that again, I just, I just saw the outline of a, of a message coming together, God is our deliverer. And so the redeeming point of that $17.99 is that you get a message today uh, on <laughs> God is our deliverer. Out of uh, the Exodus story. Um, but God is our deliverer, and that's actually part of his identity. The Exodus story is one of the key stories in the entire Bible. It's certainly uh, the corner, or a cornerstone, if not the cornerstone story of the Old Testament. But even into the New Testament, if you read Revelation, uh, you'll have seen on the, uh, on the um, announcements there, I just finished writing a, a foundations devotional for the book of Revelation. So I'm not going to get into that now, but in the book of Revelation... Uh, even much of what Jesus is going to do to the Antichrist in the end times parallels the, the uh, Exodus story of what God did to the Egyptians when he rescued Israel out of there. And so it's a cornerstone story for the entire Bible. It's a hugely important story. And, and, and at its core is this, this point about God's character, his identity, which is he is our deliverer. And he loves to deliver us. You have to understand this about God. He loves to ride in to the rescue. Okay? He loves to deliver us from things. It is fun for him. It is a joy for him. He loves us and he wants us to experience that element of his character. Now, the only problem with experiencing God to be your deliverer is you have to get in trouble to be delivered. You have to be in trouble in order to experience God to be, and by the way, you're going to find that with a lot of these character traits uh, throughout the series is in order to experience God to be various things for you, whether it be provider or healer or redeemer or deliverer, in order to experience him to be your provider, you have to sometimes be in a desert where you can't provide for yourself. And you'll die if he doesn't come through for you. In order to experience him to be your healer, you sometimes have to be very sick and beyond your own means. In order to experience him to be your redeemer, you have to be trapped and enslaved. And in order to experience him... To be your deliverer, you have to sometimes be in a place of bondage where he can deliver and rescue you from something. That's the problem, but, but anyway, that's also the good thing because, like I said, being this message, everything that happens to you in this life, um, I'm looking forward to the day when we can just know Jesus without pain. The day when he comes back to earth, or we die and go to be with him, is we'll be able to know him without pain. But in the meantime, all pain. Is an excuse to discover something new about God. Every obstacle you face is an excuse to find out that God is bigger than that obstacle. Now, here's the thing. We know this in our heads. Everyone here this morning, pretty much, I would assume, probably 100% of you, knows in your head, we ask you a question, is God bigger than blank? Oh, yes, of course. Is God bigger than Cancer. Oh, yes, of course. Is God bigger than your marriage problems? Oh, yes, of course. We know this in our heads. Is God bigger than your depression, your anxiety, whatever? Is God bigger than this? We know in our heads, yes, he's bigger than that. But we don't know it in here. And so when we face those obstacles, we lose it. We panic. We feel like we've been abandoned. We've all these sorts of things. But the reason we're in that position is because God wants us to know it in here, to experience him to actually be bigger than everything we can possibly face in this lifetime. And so we go to the Israelites in, uh, in the book of Exodus, and they're in bondage in Egypt, and life as a slave is not good, okay? None of us here can even comprehend what those Israelites went through in bondage to Egypt. Day after day you get up, week after week, month after month, year after year, and you have no hope. Think about that. Think about a life like that, and not just the Israelites. I mean, there's been there's slaves around the world even today. There's been slaves at different points in history. Think of how awful that is. We don't even understand that kind of an existence uh, here this morning. That kind of hopelessness. And it says this in Exodus 2, 23 to 25. During those many days, the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God, and God heard their groaning, and God remembered His covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. And God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. Now, I like that part. But he heard their cry, and he knew, and he saw what, where they were at, but they're groaning. This is an awful life they're in. Now, there's a bunch of things we're going to notice about this passage, but the first thing I want to ask is, why were they in bondage in the first place? See, because there's, there's different reasons why people are in bondage. There's In fact, there's two major categories probably. I think the first category is uh, when you're in bondage because of sin or stuff you've done that you've messed up. And then there's another category which is you're in bondage and has nothing to do with anything you've done. You're just in bondage because it's part of God's plan and he wants to reveal something about himself to you. And so uh, it's really important that we know those two categories. Now the amazing thing is... Uh, in both those, it doesn't matter whether you're in bondage because of your own stupidity or whether you're in bondage just because it's the plan of God, in both cases, God is your deliverer. Is that not amazing? So it doesn't matter, what. in the end, when it comes to God's identity as a deliverer and the fact that he wants to rescue us from things and that he loves to rescue us from things and that he wants every single one of us at some points in our lives to experience him rescuing us, Whether you're in bondage because of your own stupidity or whether you're in bondage just because it's part of God's plan, he wants to be your deliverer in both places. He's merciful and he's good. But it's important that you realize that there are two different kinds of bondage because sometimes people, uh, especially with anxious mindsets, as soon as you are in trouble and you're in bondage, your mind starts working overdrive. Why am I here? And you're thinking and you're analyzing, am I being punished for something? Am I being disciplined for something? And the thing you have to understand is, You're not always in bondage because you did something stupid. And in fact, if you are in bondage because of something sinful, God will make that clear to you. I can promise you that here this morning. That if the reason that you're in trouble is because of sin, a past sin, a present sin, an ongoing sin, whatever it is, God will make that clear to you. The Israelites themselves in the Old Testament experienced bondage for both reasons. If you go to the end of 2 Chronicles we find them going into bondage to the Babylonians, right? Now, in that case, their bondage was a direct result of sin. They had sinned again and again and again and again, and finally God said, I'm now sending the Babylonians to you, and they're going to take you into captivity. All right? And so they go into captivity. Now, even there, like I said before, God was merciful because he rescued them out of Babylonian captivity too, didn't he? Okay? He was their deliverer even there. But that one was because of sin. Now, the thing is, Here's the thing you don't need to know about God. If we go to the end of 2 Chronicles, we'll find that he warned them again and again and again. When it's because of sin, he will make it clear to you. 2 Chronicles 36, verses 15 to 16, the Lord, the God of their fathers, sent persistently to them by his messengers. So he persistently, he won't just tell you once. I think sometimes in our anxious mindsets about God... We're constantly searching for something to confess sometimes. It's got to be something I did. And the thing you need to do at some point, you just need to lay that to rest and understand that if God wants you to be convicted of something, He will do it. He spoke to the Israelites persistently by His messengers because He had compassion on His people and on His dwelling place. But they kept mocking the messengers of God, despising His words and scoffing at His prophets until the wrath of the Lord rose against His people and there was no remedy. And I just want to say this again you do not have to be anxious. I Remember uh, about whether it's a sin or not when you're in this place of of slavery and trouble and you need rescuing by God. I remember uh, when I was a kid, one particularly embarrassing, shameful thing I did as a child, and we all have memories like that, right? And so you confess it. And this one, because of my mindset, over analyzing, overthinking all the time, this one just followed me. Some of you, some of you know exactly what I'm talking about right now. You have a sin that you're embarrassed of, that you're ashamed of, that you wish you hadn't done, and it just follows you for years. And sometimes you forget about it for a little while, and then you come back to it. And then you're confessing it again. And you've got to confess it to someone new. And you've got to try and do penance for it again. Because you think every time something goes wrong in your life, you go back to that one. Oh, it's. it's and I just remember I, I, that, I just carried that one with me for years and years and years. And actually, there was never a moment when God just took that away from me. But over time, as I began to know God better and better, He began to. to to help me to release that memory and just to say, it's okay. You were a kid. You made a mistake. Every one of us messes up like that. You can let that go. If, if, if it was a sin that I was concerned about, he said, I would make it clear. This is just your anxious mind trying to latch on to something. And for some of you here today, you just, you just came here this morning. God had you here this morning just to hear that truth, that it's actually, It's okay. You confess that sin already, it's gone. That's not the reason for your bondage today. God's not mad at you for that sin today. You can let it go. It's okay. We make mistakes. All of us here mess up and make mistakes. All of us here have done shameful things we wish we hadn't done. And God says, it's okay. You make mistakes. I love you. I forgive you. That's not the reason for all of your bondage and problems today. And so we go back to the Exodus and we find out why was Israel in bondage in Egypt. It had nothing to do with anything bad they had done. It had to do totally with God's plan and what he wanted to reveal about himself to them. We go to Genesis chapter 45. Why were they there in the first place? Well, Joseph, right? God sent Joseph to Egypt because of a famine. Uh, Genesis 45, starting in verse 4. So Joseph said to his brothers... I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt, and now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are yet five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth. Notice, God sent me. God sent me, and to keep alive for you many survivors. You shall dwell in the land of Goshen. So this is, this is a part of Egypt. And you shall be near me, you and your children, and your children's children, and your flocks, your herds, and all that you have there I will provide for you, for there are yet five years of famine to come, such so you and your household, and all that you have do not come to poverty. So the reason they were in Egypt is because God sent Joseph there, and then the rest of Jacob's family comes. They have lots and lots of babies over the next few generations. Really an astonishing number of babies, obviously. And they grow into a nation in Egypt because God had them there, and God foresaw that because he sent them there to rescue them from a famine, he foreknew and foresaw that because of that, they would end up in bondage. He makes this prediction to Abraham, hundreds of years before, he says, This, as the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram, and behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abraham, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possession. So God knew hundreds of years in advance, I'm going to send them into Egypt, and as a result of me sending them into Egypt, they're going to be in bondage. Now you say, why would God do that? Knowingly put them in a place where they're going to be in slavery and they're going to suffer tremendously for many, many years. Why would he do that? Well, first of all, um, there, there are, there's many reasons. In his sovereignty, he's working on the level of the universe and nations and millions of individuals, billions of individuals. He has many reasons, and we won't comprehend them all, for certain not. Uh, certainly, part of it is when we're in trouble and we're in the refining fire, which I don't want to spend too much time on there right now, but part of it is he's molding our hearts right? He's molding our hearts. I remember one time uh, being just in some stuff and just struggling and feeling like I can't get out and feeling like I'm trapped and feeling like, Lord, when is this ever going to end? And when am I going to be able to feel happy again? And I just remember the Lord speaking to me, Revelation 3.18, there's a line in there and he he spoke it to me. He said, buy from me gold refined in the fire. Like we want to feel happiness and we want to feel peace all the time, um, but the kind of happiness we often are clinging to is a very shallow form of happiness. It's, it's buffeted this way and that by circumstances. The kind of peace we so often settle for is a kind of peace that the smallest circumstance can knock it off its moorings. And Jesus says, sometimes I put you into pain because it's only in the fire when you can get the kind of joy that really lasts. It's only in the fire when you can buy. See, sometimes there's gifts you receive and there's gifts you buy. There's gifts you receive and there's gifts you buy. The ones that are bought in the fires of suffering, that's where you get peace. Like sometimes, you know, we look at people in, uh, you uh, you know, you can look at a Pastor Ray, you look at a Grace Fast, you look at some of these people in our church who have walked this journey and who've been through suffering and you see... Uh, endurance, you see patience, you see wisdom, you see some of these various qualities and you go, boy, I'd love to have that kind of, I'd love to have some of those qualities, but what you don't realize is those qualities don't just fall into your lap, they're bought in fire. So to have that kind of joy and peace that is rock solid, that goes right down to the anchor point, you have to have stress and suffering to get there. And so that's part of the reason why God intentionally plans, not because we've been bad, not because he's mad at us, but he puts our path, on our path, and he knows in advance, I'm going to put you through some things, because I want you to buy gold from me. You're going to be thankful. On the far side, you're going to be thankful for a joy and a peace that you couldn't get any other way than to go, than to go through that stuff. So that's, that's one reason why he puts the stuff in our, in our paths to just to mold us. Buy from me gold, refined in the fire. But there's a second reason, and again, there's many, many other reasons. We can't even begin to comprehend the mind of God. He's infinite. Okay? But another really big reason that you need to know, and this is where I want to park more today, and certainly a big theme in the Exodus story is God wants glory. One of the reasons God lets us go through tough stuff is that he wants us to show, or he wants to show us his glory we see this in Exodus chapter 9. Why were the Israelites in slavery? Well, he says this to Moses. Rise up early in the morning and present yourself before Pharaoh and say to him, thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, let my people go that they may serve me. For this time I will send all my plagues on you yourself and on your servants and your people so that, why did God allow them to be in slavery? Why did he plan this that they would have to suffer so much? So that you may know that there is none like me in all the earth. You know, if, Well, let me just finish. He's going to say it again, and then I'll make a couple of comments. Verse 15, for by now I could have put out my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence. So I could have got rid of the Egyptians already, and you would have been cut off from the earth. But for this purpose, I've raised you up to show you my power so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. So why did God allow Pharaoh to be so strong, and why did he allow him to put the, the... people of Israel into bondage, it's so that God could get glory, to, that he could show his power and all of that. See, if, if Pharaoh had just been a nice guy, like if Pharaoh had just been a nice guy and the Israelites had just gone, you know what, we don't like our working conditions. Oh, I'm sorry. Do you guys want to leave? And he would have let them leave. Then if for all of history, people would have thought Pharaoh was a nice guy. It would have never clicked with anyone that there is a God out there who is awesome who is stronger than all the powers of evil, and who loves us very much and loves to rescue us, we would have known none of that if Pharaoh was a nice guy. Amen. So God plans and puts them in, in, in a place where they're going to be in bondage so that he can rescue them, so that the whole world can hear about them. Now, when we say glory, sometimes people take that the wrong way. We think of glory in the sense of, God wants to be famous. He wants us to suffer just so he can be famous. And we kind of think of the word fame or glory in the sense of like Hollywood uh, movie actors or something. You know, people, and I'm not saying all of them are, are necessarily bad, but a lot of the fame culture in our culture today is people just want to be famous for themselves. They just want to be famous to be famous. It's all about them. Uh, God's glory is different. God's glory is his glory. He is amazing and he is worthy of fame, but his fame is also for our benefit. So yes, God is good and he wants everybody to know that he's good and he wants us to experience that goodness for ourselves. And yes, God is loving and he wants everybody to know he wants to be famous for being loving so that we can experience his love. He wants to be famous for being powerful and he wants, because he wants us to experience his power delivering us. His fame is for our good. Does that make sense? It's not like he's just making us suffer so he can, don't, don't have the idea of glory in the sense of, again, like a Hollywood movie star, have the sense of his glory where his glory is his goodness, which is for us to experience. So he plans stuff in your life and he planned this whole thing with the Israelites and so much of the, the teaching today, this positive thinking, is so much about avoiding the various things where we can experience God. I'm going to positive talk my way out of this obstacle because I just don't need to be in obstacles, but in actuality, you need to be in that obstacle because that's, your picture of God is this big, and so when you face an obstacle this big, you get to experience God to be this big. And then you come out on the other side of that and you go, wow, God, I love you. You're amazing. Like, I knew in my head you were big, theoretically, but now in my heart, I know you're this big. And he says, that's great. Enjoy that for a little while. Just enjoy that, and he lets you. He's so good. You come up for a breather, and you go for a while, and it's like, wow, with your picture of God this big, and then he has planned at just the right time, he's got an obstacle this big, and you hit it, oh, panic, anxiety, worry. It's all over. Oh, you're squirming, and then God comes through for you again, and he comes through, and because you face one this big, you now get to experience him to be this big, and you go, oh, wow, I love you, God how could I ever have doubted you? And he lets you go and so on. And it's just this experience of increasingly finding God to be bigger and bigger and bigger than you ever hoped or imagined. And it's wonderful. We can trust him and that's his glory. God wants us to experience and see his goodness and power. But if everything in your life just goes hunky-dory, I don't know if that's a word people use anymore. I'm pretty sure my mom used it when I was a kid. But if everything in your life just goes hunky-dory, you'll just think life's good and you won't experience God to be good. Does that make sense? If life's just good, then you just go through life and life's good. Oh, life is good. I've got positive thinking. I've got positive speaking. It's just a positive life. And you never get to experience God. God is my rescuer. Wow. He loves me. He's powerful. He's amazing. So the Israelites were not In bondage in Egypt by accident, he wanted to reveal to them and to us this part of his identity that he is our deliverer, and he wants, I'm I'm telling you right now, he wants everyone. The, The story of Israel is an encouraging story for us, so that we know that, but reading it in here gets it here. God, so that's good, because we need it in here, but I want to tell you today, either you've experienced this already, or you will experience it, okay? I'll just tell you that. But God wants everybody here to experience him at various points in their lives to be their deliverer. That's his identity. And he wants you to know that for yourself too. Okay? I remember I've uh, at times, and I haven't suffered lots. Most people have suffered lots more than me. But to the extent, wherever we are, right? And I I think in some cases I'm a wimp, which makes it easier for me. He doesn't have to make me suffer that much and I'm just, ah, I need you. (laughs) So that's good. Be wimpy. But um, I remember one time, you, you know, sometimes you just get a little upset. It's like, why do I have to be suffering with this internally? So-and-so, and so-and-so, and so-and-so, and so-and-so. They don't worry about it at all. They don't suffer with it. And he's like, and then I just remember this thought coming in. You're lucky. You're lucky because you're the one who gets to be delivered by me in this area. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I don't feel so lucky. Sometimes. But on the good days, then you realize, oh, I love you, Jesus. That is awesome. Thank you. But what the journey of deliverance looks like so he is our deliverer he wants us to experience him to be uh, our deliverer but what does that journey of deliverance often look like and i just want to encourage you with a few things a few points out of this story now because he wants to deliver you he wants to rescue you he is good and he wants you to experience this but what does the journey of deliverance often looks, look like i just want to go through a few uh, quick points here exodus back to exodus 2 verse 23 and uh, let's just look at the, some of the steps. And, of course, no, no journey of deliverance is ever the same. If it was, it wouldn't be scary, and then you wouldn't need to experience him to be your deliverer. That's the beauty of God, too. He is infinitely creative. You, you are never in trouble the same way as you were the last time. Because, and that's the thing. Oh, I, I, I'm, I'm that way. Oh, I got through that one. Sweet. Now oh, I can handle it, right? And then the next time it hits you, and it's like, oh. Hide on it, and and you look at someone else, and you look at someone else, but in the end, it's just about him. Okay? But he's infinitely creative, and he wants to deliver you. But uh, Exodus 2.23, during those many days, everybody say many days. days. That's a very encouraging couple of words right there. (laughs) During those many days, the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. The fact that God is our deliverer does not mean that he delivers us instantly. And of course, every journey is completely different, and there's no set amount of time, and some are weeks, and some are months, and some are years. They're all different. But whatever the case is, when you're in need of deliverance, it will always feel like many days. When you're in need of deliverance, it will always feel like many days. And during those many days, not just one or two days, not just a week, but during those many days, the Israelites were groaning and crying out to God for deliverance. And so, one of the things you have to understand about deliverance is there's always a waiting period you can expect it. There's always a waiting, waiting period. And this is part of God settling things in our hearts. This is part of that fire purifying gold and giving us real joy and real love and real peace and all that sort of stuff. There's always a waiting period. The waiting period is always different, but but whatever it is, it will feel like many days because you want deliverance. And so it will feel like a long time, but there's a promise in this too. And I want you to hear this promise. Whatever the waiting period is, it will never be too long for you to handle. Amen. It'll feel long. Oh, I mean, just, you, you, you just think, during this week as I was meditating on this, during this many days, think about what those Israelites were going through. I mean, slavery, that's awful. Groaning. Many of them spent huge chunks of their lifetime. If they were born at the same time as Mo- Moses, many of them will have been a bit younger when their deliverance came um, than Moses, but some of them will have been his generation. They will have spent their whole lives groaning day after day, Crying out to God, suffering. Okay, and and you say, Well, that doesn't sound very comforting to me, but the comforting thing is whatever the many days is for you, and your bondage and yours won't be the same as theirs anyway. But whatever the many days is for you, whatever the waiting period is for you, it will not be too long, too long for you to handle. Very encouraging verse here about Jesus, Matthew 12:20. This is about the character of Jesus. A bruised reed he will not break and a smoldering wick he will not quench until he brings justice to victory those are promises that's a promise jesus says a bruised reed he will not break you are that bruised reed he will not break you you will have times When you're in bondage, there will have been times those Israelites will have thought, I can't take it anymore, I'm falling apart at the seams, I cannot go another step. Some of you feel that here this morning. I can't go another step. I can't take this anymore. It's too hopeless. And the thing you need to realize is a bruised reed he will not break. The fact that you're still not dead means you're not broken. And he won't break you apart. I mean, sometimes you'll feel like he's breaking you apart, but in the sense of it's gone and you're destroyed, a bruised reed, he won't break. It won't be too long for you to handle. It won't be too long. I love that verse. And again, if we go back to the Exodus story, I think there is encouragement in here. Many of those Israelites, men, women, and children, waited their whole lives for deliverance, and they made it. Think about that. If God could sustain them in that for their entire lives, he can sustain you in whatever you're in. If he could sustain them day after day, month after month, year after year, and have them come out on the other side, he can do the same for you. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not quench. If they could survive that by God's grace, you can survive what you're going through. You can handle in Jesus, you can handle more than you think you can handle. That's one of the things God has taught me sometimes in the little fires that I've gone through is I think, stop, you're killing me! And then you're not dead. And then you're not dead. You can handle, if Jesus' grace carrying you along, you can handle more than you think you can handle. And this brings up a couple of things. What do you do when you're in that place of trouble and bondage and you are waiting for deliverance? What do you do? We look at the Israelites here and they groaned and they cried out to God. Sometimes you don't know. You're in this place and everything that you do hurts and you know he wants to be your deliverer, but it hasn't happened yet. You're in this waiting period. What are you doing in the middle? Like, how do I get by? Sometimes we're trying to grasp onto feelings. I want to feel hope. You know that sometimes when you're in that place of bondage, you can't even feel hope. Sometimes you just can't, and then you feel guilty. Oh, I don't have enough faith, and you have to discover that God is bigger than your doubt and your hopelessness too. And so you're in the pain, and you say, "Well." I, I, what am I supposed to do? Feel, make myself feel hope while I wait for him to deliver me. Well, hope is great when he gives it to you, but how, what do you do then day by day while you wait for his deliverance? And the first thing is, this is some of the most spiritual advice I can give you today, is you just get up each day and you put one foot in front of the other. That, I mean, that's just spiritual advice. That's what the Israelites did. God hadn't come to deliver them yet. They weren't in bondage because it was their fault. So what do you do while you're waiting for him to deliver you? You know what they did? They got up every day and they just lived. They just survived. You don't retreat back into something. You know what? Sometimes people, we panic. We hit the panic button. We go. We freeze. We paralyze. And that actually puts you in a worse hell than if you just put one foot in front of the other. Some days, you know, a Christian life, some days, there are days, you know, it, sometimes we just have to get past this good day, bad day thing. And we just have to realize that every day is just a grace day. Some days I have the grace to endure the day. Some days I have the grace to enjoy it. But every day I just have grace to get through the day. And so you get up every morning and you just sometimes when you're in that place, you just say, God, all I have today is I have nothing else. I, I don't know what else to do. And you have to deliver me. And it's out of my hands. I just one foot in front of the other. One foot in front of the other. What do I have to do today? You will give me the strength I need to do what I need to do. Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now, that's a verse that often Christians take to mean, I can reach all my goals, right? Through Christ who strengthens me. That's often how this verse is interpreted. So you see athletes quoting this before the Super Bowl. I can win the Super Bowl because Christ is strengthening me, is essentially what they're saying. Or I can win the gold medal because Christ is strengthening me, because we take this verse to mean that I can reach all of my goals through Christ who strengthens me. Brothers and sisters, if that's your interpretation of this verse, you are going to be sorely disappointed when it doesn't work that way. God does not promise to give you the strength to do everything you and your human mind have decided you want to do. What he has promised to give you is the strength, and he hasn't even promised to give you strength for what you need to do tomorrow, today. Sometimes we're in worry, and we're trying to get strength for tomorrow, today. He says, (laughs) I mean, Matthew 6, don't worry about tomorrow, today has enough for itself. This is a promise for today that whatever God wants you to accomplish, not necessarily what you've set for yourself to accomplish, not that it's bad to have goals, but there's a place when you're in that place of just needing God to deliver you where you're in the day by day, and this verse is a promise that because you're worried, I don't know if I can parent my kids the way I need to in the place where I'm at. I don't know if I can be the husband I need to be. I don't know if I can be the leader today that I need to be. And Jesus says, you don't need to worry about it. I will give you enough strength to do what you need to do, and where you fall short, he'll cover the rest. But I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can survive today. If he wants me to survive, I'll survive today. And even if I have to go through the motions, I'll go through the motions. I'll put one step in front of the other, but he will give me the strength one step at a time to do what I need to do. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So sometimes all you do is you just survive. You get up each day and you put one foot in front of the other. This is the waiting period. But there's another thing you do too. You can cry out to God. Obviously, this, these two go hand in hand. Exodus 2, 23 to 25, again, during those many days, the king of Egypt died, those many days, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery, and they cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God, and God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. So, on the one hand, see, and different people, sometimes they can take different things. Some people, they they try to just pray their way through when actually you just have to keep living life too. And some people just try to live life, but they don't pray. You've got to do both. This is how you go in the waiting period. On the one hand, you just survive, and you can't spend all your time in the prayer room, and you can't spend all your time praying and fasting. At a certain point, you just have to trust God. I pray, I leave it with Him, I just live. I put one foot in front of the other. But on the other hand, we do need to cry out to God. And you unburden yourself to Him and your pain, and you cry out to Him, and the promise here is that He hears. And He sees And he knows now often in that waiting period you don't feel like he hears or he sees or he knows and that's why it's difficult because you're waiting for this rescue but he does hear and he does know and he does see and so you unburden yourself to him in all honesty and rawness. I, I love it. It says here, they cried out to him. They groaned to him. They were in pain. He didn't expect them to have it all together when they came to him in prayer. But they went to him in pain. I can't take this anymore. It's okay to say that to God in prayer. I need help. Oh, I don't know how I'm going to get through this. You cry. You groan. You lie before him, but you cry out to him. And he does hear you. And the amazing thing is the moment you cry out to him, he begins to answer. And this is something to hold on to. He does begin to answer. You cry out to him in bondage. The the Israelites cry out to him in bondage. He begins to answer, but what they don't see is the answer is way out in the desert shepherding sheep, and his name is Moses, and he doesn't look like much of an answer, to be honest. They can't see any of that, though. They can't see that God's working behind the scenes. It's not that he's, it's not that he's not caring. He is. You cry out to him. He's working, but it's behind the scenes. He's, he's working the process. He's working your heart. He's working his glory. He's planting the seeds of your deliverance. It's all being worked, but you just have to wait. And some weights are longer than others. Some seeds take longer to to mature than others. If all you want is a little flower, you plant that seed, it comes up maybe in a couple of weeks. If you want a tomato plant, you put the seed in the ground, it takes a few months. If you want an oak tree, you put that seed in the ground, it can take decades. So depending on what it is that God's doing in your life, and the size of the glory and the things that he's revealing to you and changing in you, you're calling out for it. It may take varying periods, but you won't see the answer right away, but you can rest assured he has begun to answer. And Pastor Ray, awesome message last week. Amazing message. God always answers our prayers. He doesn't always match them. I love that. He doesn't always match them. He always answers them. It's always better in the end. He always answers prayer. That is a consistent promise throughout Scripture. You don't always see it beginning. He doesn't always exactly match what you're asking, but when you ask him, he always answers and it's always better. Yeah, amen is right. I love that. But I should warn you about one thing. So that's good. We cry out to God. Okay? We put one foot in front of the other. We cry out to God. The moment we begin to cry out to God, he begins to answer. I should just warn you about one thing though. When you're waiting for deliverance and crying out to God for rescue, things often get worse before they get better. Oh. Oh. Why God, right? We see this with Israel. I mean, it's, we can laugh at it now because we're not living it, but we can read about it. And someday we'll laugh about our things too with Jesus. But uh, Exodus 4, they cry out to God, right? And it looks like, wow, okay. Now they wait for a while. And then Moses shows up, right? Exodus four twenty nine to 31. Then Moses and Aaron went and gathered together all the elders of the people of Israel Aaron spoke all the words that the Lord had spoken to Moses and did the signs in the sight of the people. And so, yeah, he puts his hand in his shirt, pulls out leprosy. Whoa, cool. Puts it back in. It's done. Throws the staff down. Turns into a snake. Hey, God said, we're coming. We're delivering you. Woohoo! Right? You get the promise. This happens, right? If you've ever been in a place where you need deliverance, you ever been there? and you've, you've been suffering, it's been a couple of months, maybe it's been a year, maybe it's been a couple of years, and then you have that prayer summit experience, or you have a, an experience here on a Sunday morning, and God, or someone gives you a prophetic word, or in your Bible, you get this promise, woohoo! yes, we're about to be delivered, right? And the people believed, it says in verse 31. That's awesome, and when they heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel, and that he had seen their affliction, they bowed their heads, and they worshiped, right? And I don't know if you've ever been there. Yes! So here we go, right? Next chapter. Moses goes to Pharaoh, and Pharaoh says, no. He doesn't just say no, he also says, and the fact that you even asked shows me you're lazy, so now you're going to keep making the same amount of bricks you make every day, except that you're also going to have to gather the straw. In the past, we Egyptians were supplying that for you. You will now have to do that work as well, but keep making the same number of bricks. This is what he says because they did what God told them to do. And so we see the very next chapter, chapter 4, they believed, they bowed, they worshipped. Yes, God, it's over. The long wait is over. And then we see this. The foreman of the people of Israel saw that they were in trouble and they said, you shall by no means reduce your number of bricks, your daily task each day. They met Moses and Aaron. Now, I would not have liked to be Moses and Aaron in this meeting. The day before, you're the hero. The promises of God Who were waiting for them as they came out from Pharaoh, and they said to him, The Lord look on you and judge, because you have made us stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants, and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. And Moses and Aaron, of course, were so full of faith that they weren't shaken at all, right? (laughs) Then Moses turned to the Lord and said, Oh Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? You ever been there? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people and you have not delivered your people at all. That's not a fun place to be. You go from the high. It's even worse if you've just been on a high. You go from the high of woohoo to whammo, doubt and despair. And you know what the amazing thing is? God's going to rescue them anyway. Again, he's bigger than their doubt and despair. Wow. You know, sometimes some of this stuff, you know, sometimes there's a place for thinking positively. There really is. There's a place for being thankful. There's a place for various things and focusing our minds on good things. There, there's a place for that. But sometimes, there's just a place and you just fall apart and God's just playing bigger than that. And Moses is in total despair here. And uh, But that's okay because God's bigger than that and he's going to deliver them anyway. And of course, this leads to the next, the next uh, kind of step in the pathway of rescue here, and that is the time of struggle and upheaval, breakthrough and disappointment because out of Moses' despair and disappointment and the people of Israel, despair and disappointment is God begins to now unleash plagues on, on Pharaoh and on their oppressors. And so he releases the first one. Is, you know, he makes the, the, the river all bloody. And I mean, think about the Israelites now. Yes! Now we've got them. What a miracle! And then Pharaoh says, no. Oh. Right? And then there's the, I don't even remember all the, uh, the order. And the movie didn't help me much with that. So, but, uh, there's, the, there's the gnats, and then there's the flies, and then there's the frogs. And they, by the way, one of the, the frogs were heaped up. There were so many dead frogs that said that they were making a stink of the whole nation. Like, that must have been just gross. But every plague, every plague, the Israelites must have gone, Wow! And then, no. Wow! And then, no. And there's this struggle, this titanic struggle between... God, of course, God's not trying. It's not titanic in the sense that he's breaking a sweat. But from the point of view of us humans. And Pharaoh really is strong. The people, the the guy who's got the Israelites in bondage, some of the things that have you in bondage, it really is strong. That's big stuff. It really is big. And so there's this now period of disappointment. You get the breakthrough. Yes, there's a miracle. And then, oh, I'm not done yet. And you get another one. This must be it. And then, oh, it's not quite yet. And you go through this up and down. And of course, after the tenth one, Pharaoh finally does set them free, right? Finally, right? And even there, there's another episode of things get worse before they get better because he lets them go and then he brings his army after them and they're caught between the sea and the army and in that place, they have the biggest setback of disappointment and despair that they've had yet. Why did you bring us out here to kill us, they say. And it's right there. Now finally after all the struggle and the up and the down, it's another episode of things get worse before they get better. And it's finally in that place, completely out of their control. Has nothing to do with their positive thinking. It really has nothing to do with hardly them at all. It's just God is going to deliver them now. All they're doing is just being in, the, in the, that place of needing rescue. And they can't work up faith. They can't work up anything. They've got nothing left to give God. And it's in that place. He parts the Red Sea. He brings them across. He brings the Red Sea crashing down on the Egyptians. And it's in that place that they are rescued. And we see this and then in the end it was all worth it. Exodus 14. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians. So the people feared the Lord, and they believed in the Lord and in his servant, Moses. And there were many times in the middle when they felt like they couldn't take it anymore. There were times of doubt. There were times of despair. There were lots of ups and downs, but in the end, it was all worth it, wasn't it? Yes. And in the end, they were better off. There was times in the middle when they wanted to get out of the process. You ever been there? You, God takes you into a, into a process, and over time, you feel worn out, and you think, I don't like being in this process anymore. I just want to go back to being the way I was before. Like, actually, I was really idealistic at the beginning, praying that you would give me gold refined by the fire. But now that I'm actually in the fire, I'd like to just go back to having the fake gold. And the Israelites did that too. Just, let's go back to Egypt. I mean, slavery's bad, but this is just too intense. And God doesn't let them off. He just takes them through the whole thing. And at the end, it's so worth it. Oh, It's way better to be free than it is to be a slave. And some of you are right in the middle of that process right now. Others of you, you're not. By the way, if you're not in the process, that's okay. You can't make yourself get in it. I spent lots of my life worrying about when is God going to put me in the process. Because anytime you hear people talk about it takes a little bit of suffering, it takes a little bit of fire, then you worry, oh, and God doesn't expect you to pray for it. I've often told God, I am too much of a wimp to pray for fire. So I've just told him, it's in your hands. You know what? He's big enough for that too. I'm not going to, he does not expect you to pray, put me on the process. He does not expect you to pray, put me in the fire. And he doesn't expect you to spend all your good days worrying about when the fire is coming. But it will come. Because he loves you. He loves you. And so some of you are in the process right now. And you can take hope that God is bigger than your fears and your failures, and your doubts, and he will carry you through if you just hold on to him. And the rest of us can take these truths into our heads and say, thank you, Lord, that you're bigger than that. It's beyond me to get it into my heart. And I just thank you that you're good and you'll get it into my heart in your time and your way. But those of you who are in the middle of the process right now, I want to encourage you again, prayer. Open up to other people and get prayer. We have after-service prayer after, this, after the, the uh, worship song. And I would just encourage you that when you're in this journey, ask other people to pray for you. That is a huge thing. And I'm going to pray for you now too. So close your eyes. Why don't you stand, because we're going to sing right away anyway. And I'm going to pray for you too. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you are our deliverer. And what a joy it is to be delivered by you. What a joy it is to be rescued by you. What it is, what a joy it is to experience you in our hearts to be bigger than the biggest problems. There's a freedom that comes when we can trust you and let everything in our lives go to you knowing that you're bigger than everything that could come against us and you will catch us. And so, Lord, for those people who are going through the process right now who feel like they're in this place right now of the intensity and the fire and the burning, and the heat, and the ups, and the downs. Lord, I pray that you would give them strength. I pray for a resolve to rise up by your Holy Spirit in their hearts, to not give up, to not turn back. Lord Jesus, I pray that they would experience you day by day to be bigger and bigger. I pray that you would give them experience of your trust, that you would implant in them this trust that we can't work up we can't make it happen it actually is a gift from you those times when we can actually let go of everything we can let go of the control and we can just let ourselves fall into your hands i thank you for that be our deliverer and for all of us lord jesus wherever we are in this i pray that you would enable us to worship you as our deliverer in jesus name i pray amen thank you for listening to this message from southland church For more information or to download this and many other messages, please visit us at myselfland.com.